Bible reading is Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. The church in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antinoch. When he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians at first in Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders, Barnabas and Saul. Well, thanks. Um, thanks, Helen. Um, welcome, everybody. Um, just to introduce myself, my name is Josh. Um, I'm one of the, the leaders here at Christchurch. I'm an elder and I'm on um, staff. And we are going to um, spend a bit of time um, looking at that passage and thinking through it. We are currently in the middle of looking at this whole book of Acts that that little bit of a chapter was read. We're in the middle of looking at that whole book. This is where we're up to today. But it also really does tie in quite well with some of the stuff we've looked at so far about um, mission and about um, helping people in other parts of the world. So we'll see what it says about that. Um, do keep that bit um, of the Bible open. But before I begin, I'm going to pray that God will help us. Father God, you have given us your word and we thank you that it is precious. Thank you that your precious word teaches us of Jesus and that um, many people in this room have a great hope in Jesus and that we are able to share that. But thank you so much as well that your word teaches us that you are taking that word elsewhere and we pray that we'd be encouraged deep in our hearts as we read your word. We pray that your spirit would be speaking to us and as a result of encountering you in your word today, we'd be both um, full in our hearts and uh, ready to serve you in joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for quite a few years um, back in the past, I used to be a leader on a summer kids camp. And one of the special things about the particular camp that I was involved in was that it was entirely under canvas. So everything was intense. When I say everything, I mean everything was intense. So uh, the, the showers, they were in tents. We had a bathroom tent, the sinks. The kitchen was totally, it was, it was in, a, in a big marquee. The, uh, and all the accommodation sleeping, that was all in tents. There wasn't a single building in sight. In fact, for a whole week of our lives, we would be without, we would never go and set foot in a building. And um, 
one, one of the, what that meant was that when I was a leader, it meant that I would have to turn up before it started. And so I would turn up to nothing but a field. I didn't used to go to a camp, I used to go to a field. And I have to admit, the first time that I went there as a leader, it was a little bit daunting and intimidating to think about what needed to be done to turn up at a field and know you have to basically make a village out of nothing, that there were pits to be dug for all the, the, the plumbing and waste. There was gas to be piped through to a kitchen tent. There was portaloos to put out. There was five massive marquees to put up. And there were these massive quarter-ton ovens that had to be moved from place to place on a lorry. And I'm there driving in my car on my way there. And I'm going on my own. So it's me. <clears throat> I've got my bag and my guitar. And that's it. And if I'm looking around at just everything, at what I can see, well, it seems to me that there's this impossible task. I don't actually know how to set up that camp. I don't have the resources to dig those pits. I don't have the strength to put up a marquee on my own. If I'm looking around and seeing what's around me and thinking that that's all there is, then I've basically got an impossible task. But what would happen, of course, is that when I arrived on the field, I'd find that a team had already gotten there before me. Um, and they had already begun, and the big jobs were already done. The marquees were already up. They'd brought a digger to dig the pits, um, and people had already been moving those massive, great big ovens. It wasn't actually my job to do an impossible task. It was my job to turn up, to see what had been begun, and join in in whatever way I could. Now, at our church this morning, we've mentioned already, we're talking about mission and thinking about mission and that's because we believe that God has gathered believers together into the church. And the church has a job to make sure people all over the world get a chance to hear the wonderful news that Jesus will change their life and their future if they let him. Now, um, as has already been mentioned, further on in the service, we'll have some opportunities to think about how we as a church want to do that um, and how we want to be involved. But we don't just want to do that in the whole world. We also want to do that in Liverpool. We also want to share Jesus with people we meet on our streets and that we work with. Our church is here to pass on and share Jesus with others. But it's easy to think a bit like 20-year-old me in my car with my guitar. To look around and think, but isn't that an impossible task? Isn't that just too hard? I don't have the resources, I don't have the know-how to be growing God's church. I mean, there isn't actually any guarantee that anyone who comes to any one of our courses or events as a church, there's no guarantee that any of those people will be persuaded to put their life in Jesus' hands. So how can we possibly be growing God's church in the world, or even in Liverpool, or even on your street? Isn't that just an impossible ask? Well, my experience of that camp field is similar to the experience of the first church that we read about in the book of Acts. Just as I arrived in that field to find that some very capable hands had already gone ahead of me and were going full steam ahead with building that camp. So in today's passage in Acts, the very first church found out that Jesus was always ahead of them. Jesus was always ahead of the church and they discover that they're not given an impossible job of growing God's church in the world, they find that Jesus is doing that and it's their privilege to join in with what he's doing. And that's what we're going to find out today in the book of Acts. Jesus is always a good few steps of the church. And if he's always ahead of you, then in this passage, we're going to see three great ways 
that you can respond. The first is this. Jesus is ahead of you. So what can you see him doing? So what can you see? Um, before we actually look at the, the verses and the words in this passage, let me give you an up update as to what is going on in the book of Acts so far. The book of Acts is a story of uh, the church beginning. And it begins with Jesus' disciples who knew Jesus. They were there with him, walked and talked with him. And th at the beginning, they shared that message about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, their eyewitness testimony. They were sharing it just with Jews. Now, in the last two chapters of the book of Acts, or the most recent two chapters that we've looked at, there's been a major milestone because we've seen that one of the most prominent disciples, a guy called Peter, has been given a vision by God. He's been told clearly by the Holy Spirit that this message about Jesus' life and death and resurrection is not just for Jews, but it's for Gentiles too, for non-Jews. And for, for Peter and for all the Christians at the time, that they, that's quite a big deal. That's unusual, that was unexpected, and it's a big adjustment and a major mindset for them. But eventually, the Jewish culture, Jerusalem church, the, the only church, they kind of get their head around it, and they do come to accept it. That's what where we're up to by the previous verse. Now, imagine what that church is thinking at the moment. They're thinking, well, we are the only believers, and now we've got to start speaking the news about Jesus cross-culturally. They're now wondering, how on earth can you explain to a non-Jew that it's good news for them that the Jewish Messiah has come? So maybe they're, they're trying to get a load of cross-cultural appreciation courses um, on the go. They, they're thinking strategically, how can we uh, make sure that we reach people who've never even heard of God? There's a lot of things that they might need to think about. There's a big task ahead of them. But one thing is certain, the future of the worldwide church depends on their next move. Except it doesn't. And here we get to today's passage. Verses 19 to 21 gives us the backstory of a different church. The very first non-Jewish church, the Gentile church, that pops up in a city called Antioch. And it doesn't really have much to do with the Jerusalem church. And wouldn't you know it, verse 19 says, it was started by refugees. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travelled. That's a reference to something that happened earlier on when the, in the Jerusalem, the Jewish church, there was a, a violent and terrifying lynch mob who killed one of the people who was in that church. So a whole lot of people had to flee. They felt that they would be next. So fearing for their lives, they ran off. They went to other, other parts of the country, even beyond the borders of the country. Some even went, it says, to off the coast to Cyprus. But what they're doing then when they reach those places is telling more people about Jesus. And before this very first church, before that Jerusalem church, before they've even got their cross-cultural church planting hat on, Jesus was way ahead of them. Jesus was sending refugees into Antioch to begin a church. And that is Jesus' doing because verse 21 says, the Lord's hand was with them. There's something really important that Jesus is teaching the early church here that I think he wants the 21st century church who read Acts to know as well. And that is Jesus is way ahead of you. Jesus is way ahead of you. He's got this planned out. Whatever you think, you might do to grow his church, whether that's a conversation with someone 
in your workplace, or a flatmate, or giving a week to go off to Greece in the summer, whatever you think you're going to do, he's ahead of you already. That's what Barnabas found out when he is sent from the Jerusalem church to go and check out this unknown foreign Gentile church that they know nothing about. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. So when he arrived and saw that Jesus was already at work, even before he'd gotten there, even before they'd thought to send anyone, when he arrived and saw that Jesus was ahead of him, he was glad. I think that's just a really great outlook to have. It's something that we can learn individually and as a church. In any situation, I don't just mean missions, I mean any situation in life. Ask that question, if Jesus is ahead of me, if I believe that, if I believe that Jesus knows what he's doing, he's got it all planned out, and he's put things in motion before I even thought of them. If Jesus is ahead of me, then, well, where can I see that he's already been at work? Where can I see things happening in other, other people's lives? Where can I see Jesus' work already happening even before I thought about it? Thinking like that made Barnabas glad. And I want you to share in Barnabas' gladness. I want you to, to, to come to realise, like Barnabas, that, that being a Christian, being part of our church, it's bigger than us and our projects. Spreading the wonderful news of Jesus to people on your street and to Liverpool and to the world, that's in very capable hands. It's already begun. And Jesus is growing his church and growing followers in ways that you and I are still catching up with. I used to be involved in um, our church's international ministry. And that meant um, regular Bible studies with international students. And um, a lot of them came from China. And that meant that they had heard about Jesus, but not really um, known what Christians believe about Jesus a lot of the time. And I remember one girl came to our Bible study and we didn't know who she was. She would never met her before. And so she, she started coming along and um, we, well, we did a Bible study. We opened the Bible and we were thinking consciously, we really want this girl to come to see Jesus for who he is. We really want to open up the Bible with her and have her um, read Jesus' claims for herself and actually recognize that uh, he's real and, and is making a call on her life. But we wanted to do that using all of our skill in the ways that we could try and proclaim that in terms that were culturally sensitive, in ways that would resonate culturally with her. And so we did the Bible study, and, and by the end of that, we, um, well, after, the, after that, we kind of asked her some questions to find out a bit more about her. We said, what brought you along today? And she said, oh, well, when I first got to Liverpool, my housemate was given a Bible by some random guy off the street, and she didn't want it, so she threw it in the bin. I saw it in the bin, and I picked it up, and I've been reading it every day ever since, and I can't put it down. And I've read all these stories about Jesus. And I've got all these questions I want to ask. Jesus was way ahead of us in all the ways we planned to do that Bible study. She, he was well ahead of us. And that's really encouraging to know. And that's really encouraging to look for. That Jesus is growing his church. And it doesn't depend on your ideas or your dedication. He's already ahead of you. Do a Barnabas. See what the grace of God has done. And be glad. But the gladness of seeing Jesus at work already, for Barnabas, 
That was such an encouragement that that moved him to join in. And that's a second helpful way to respond. If Jesus is ahead of you, well, how can you join in? Jesus is ahead of you. How can you join in? Um, We've got a three-year-old daughter. And um, one of the things she loves to do is she loves to help out um, whenever she sees us being busy. So, um, I mean, this is just a picture that's not her and that's not... I mean, sometimes she helps load the dishwasher. Um, A couple of weeks ago, we were giving away a chest of drawers. Um, and it meant that we'd emptied it upstairs and we needed to get it down the stairs. And so I was carrying these, the, the empty drawers through the house downstairs to the, to the front door. And she saw that I was doing that. And she said, oh, oh Daddy, c- can I help out? Can I carry one of those drawers? They're a little bit heavy. Um, maybe she can hold one end of the drawer and I'll hold the other end. And she wanted to help me carry this chest of drawers down the stairs. I'll hold one side. She's three years old. I'll hold one side and you hold the other side. That's just a really lovely instinct to have, isn't it? Now, she could have done what most adults would have done, which would be to say, oh, dad's moving the chest of drawers. I'm so glad because I've been wanting him to do that for a while. Now he's doing it. I can't really be helping out. I'd be in the way. So I'm just going to go back to my TV program. But instead, she thought, oh, great. Dad's moving that chest of drawers. I'm so glad he's doing that. There's probably room for me to join in somewhere, isn't there? And in the same way, verse 23 could easily read, When Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God has done, he was glad. He was so glad that he went home knowing that everything was taken care of by a big God. Great faith, great trust, great guy Barnabas. Um, But he's glad to see Jesus at um, at work, and being glad means that he, he can't help but want to join in. And he joins in in the most wonderful way. He's not under pressure here. He doesn't see a situation that he now needs to fix. There's no pressure. There's no such thing in his mind as success or failure in what he does here, because he, he knows this is someone else's thing. He knows this is Jesus' project, but he's just really glad to get stuck in and be involved. He could have come in and taken over because he's from the prestigious Jerusalem church, the original. But he doesn't. He encourages them. He says, keep going on what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I'm not going to come here and change that. I'm not going to fix that. I'm going to encourage you to do what you're doing. He's got that freedom to join in, that delight to join in. But he's not taking it lightly because notice that he takes on the hassle and inconvenience to then headhunt somebody to help him he has to travel all the way to Tarsus and he has to find a guy called Saul and it seems like he has to actually you know go out of his way to try and work out where in Tarsus he might be he hasn't got his whatsapp number um, or he's got the notifications turned off he doesn't know where Saul is he's got to look for him and then he comes back with Saul and they hang around in Antioch for a whole year the joining in that Barnabas does is is free it's glad it's willing but it's also pretty full on He's happy to give himself for a whole year to, to give Saul a, a gap year, in a one-year internship of being able to grow and help out this church. And if Jesus really is ahead of us, then I'd love us to feel that same freedom that, that moves us to join in. To realise, ask that first question, if Jesus is ahead of me, what's he already doing? And to realise if he is ahead of me, And he is doing something in that person's life. 
in the life of that work colleague, if there's a circumstance or a person in their life or something they said that you, you recognize Jesus is already at work there, well, what a great idea to, to join in, to get involved, be part of that story. And don't be afraid to turn that lunchtime conversation to something more spiritual because Jesus is already doing something there. Or another idea, particularly for today, if you know Jesus is already at work in the world, in far-flung places in the world, growing his church, if we hear about churches in Lebanon or Ireland where Jesus is at work, well, what a great idea to say, well, I want to join in with that. <coughs> it's not a ministry that I've, my ministry that I've got to do. There's no success or failure. This is what Jesus is doing, and I can be part of that. So I could dedicate some time praying for one of the summer missions that we're going to hear about at the end, praying regularly for that, or giving support to one of them, or even giving up a week in the summer to go on one. How can I join in if this is what Jesus is doing? See, we have been given in, in Acts account of Jesus' wonderful work, how it's Jesus growing his church. And when we see that, it's an invitation for us to get on board, just like Barnabas. Be glad when you see Jesus at work and join in. Uh, but in this passage, not only is it Barnabas who knows that Jesus is ahead of him and he joins in, but actually the church in Antioch do a, a really good response as they see Jesus ahead of them in verses 27 to 29, where they hear a revelation from the Holy Spirit. They know that Jesus must be ahead of them. And so they ask a third question, a really helpful response, which is, Jesus is ahead of you, so what do you have? Jesus is ahead of you, so what do you have? Um, one of, I've noticed one of a common feature in uh, some stories, like you read a book, a novel, or a, uh, or a film, quite a common feature in the storyline is when the main character gets given something, an item, from, it's normally from somebody mysterious or from somebody wise, um, and they're not really sure what that item is for, and they kind of put it away, and we the story set up so that at the time we don't know what its significance is going to be. We forget about it. Um, you know, if you've read Tolkien, Galadriel gives Frodo the the, the file and, and Sam the elven rope. Or if you've read Harry Potter, why does Ron get the Deluminator? Or if you've read other stories, there's there's that moment, isn't there, where someone gets given something we're not sure why, but then you know, hey presto, further on down the line, when they're in a sticky spot what they've been given, that we didn't even know what it was, that is exactly what they needed for that situation. That happens in a book. I'll illustrate that from a book that is um, a particular favourite in our house. There's a book called Jack and the Flum Flum Tree. Um, in case, well, I was going to say in case you've never heard of it, but I'm sure you've all, all heard of it. It must be a favourite in all of your houses. It's such a wonderful book. Um, that's not serious. Um, let me explain what happens in Jack and the Flum Flum Tree. Something similar happens there. So the first line of Jack and the Flum Flum Tree is this. Jack had a granny and his granny had spots. Great big purple ones, lots and lots. And so Jack has to go on a sailboat to a faraway island to get the fruit from the Flum Flum Tree, which is going to be the cure to his granny's spots. So he gets his boat ready. He goes down to the dock to leave. And then this is what happens. Granny came down to the dock with Jack and gave him a bulgy patchwork sack. And in that sack were a pair of wooden spoons, a porridge bowl, tent bags, and some red and blue balloons. 
Granny's old skipping rope, a pack of chewing gum, three spotty hankies and a tom-tom drum. And Jack said, Granny, what is the use of those? Aha, said Granny, and tapped her nose. Now, if you want to find out what was the use of those, you'll have to read the book yourself. But you can probably guess that at every turn, Jack is going to need one of those random items to get himself out of a sticky spot. Well, what's that got to do with anything we're talking about in the book of Acts? Well, in that story, Jack knows that Granny's way ahead of him. And he knows that Granny has already given him everything he's going to need in his patchwork sack. And there's something like that sort of mindset among the young believers in Antioch. Verses 27 and 28. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. So the church in Antioch hear the Holy Spirit give a prediction of what's going to happen. And so they think, Jesus is ahead of us here. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus is putting things in place because he knows what's about to happen. And he's telling us because he must have already given us something in our patchwork sack. Something that we can use to help us out. So that attitude comes out. Verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, as they looked and thought, what have I got? Oh, I've got something because God's put me in this position for this reason. As each one was able, they decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Now, that's a great attitude of this Antioch church, isn't it? Jesus knows what's going to happen. And he told us. So let's assume that he's already given us the means to help out other Christians through the worst of this. There's a great picture of what the grace of God does when people come to trust in Jesus, believe it, and start living in the light of it. See, the Antioch church have heard the news about Jesus. They will have known the message that says we're naturally far from God, but Jesus came to heal that divide. They'll have known the news that Jesus died in our place, to take the penalty for everything that we've done to alienate ourselves from God. But they'll also know that if he's done that, then we're brought close into God to be part of his family. But they'll also know that if that's happened to me, then that's happened to the person next to me too. And that's happened to the person next to them. And it's happened to the people in our church, but it's also happened to the people in some random other church that we don't know who they are. They're brought close to Jesus in the same way as I'm brought close to Jesus. And that means if I'm in Jesus and they're in Jesus, then we're actually, there's something bonding us closer together than, than family. We are actually part of the same thing more, more profoundly than being in different cultures. And they expressed that in Antioch when they took that identity, that the label Christians. We're told that the, in Antioch they were first called Christians. And in Antioch they, they identify, it goes to the roots of their identity, that they are Christ people. And they call themselves Christians because they're not the foreign Gentile church. And there's no such thing as the original Jewish church. They think, well, if the gospel of Jesus is true, we're brought to Jesus through, we're brought to the Father through Jesus. So are they. So are they. We're all one. We're all one group of people. And that sense of identity kicks in when they hear about this famine because they think, well, we've got brothers and sisters 
We've got family members that we are, we're joined so close to. So Jesus must have given us something to serve them. Yes, I know that they're foreign. Yes, I know they're different to us. Yes, I know that they don't even speak the same language. Yes, I know we don't even know those people in that other church. And they probably won't ever be able to return the favour. But they are our brothers and sisters. Because they are brought to God in the same way as we are. And we're brought together because of that. And imagine what that gift then does to the Jerusalem church who receive it. And the Jerusalem church receive this from this odd Gentile church. And they, the Jerusalem church must think, wow, these guys have really believed that gospel. They've really like, understood that we are the same as them. They've really understood that we all come to Jesus in the same way. They actually get that the gospel is true more than we do. That Antioch mindset is such an encouraging thing to see. And I'm so encouraged when I see it in our church, and I've seen it happen. And where we see it, it's just a, such a shining light in our communities and in our city. When folks here recognise that our main identity is in Jesus, and we say, I'm a Christ person, a Christian, that's my main identity. And that means that everything I have must have already been given to me by Jesus for the sake of other brothers and sisters. So we see people using their savings to buy a house with an extra room so that they've got space for a brother or sister that they don't know yet to come and stay. And we see people who believe that Jesus has given them their house and their kitchen so that they can use that to make food for other struggling brothers and sisters because they're brothers and sisters and Jesus has given me something to share with them. And that's even more a shining light when Christians do that for other Christians they don't even know. When they say, I'm going to give myself to a church revitalization among Christians I don't even know, and I'm going to move to that part of the city and live among them. Or when people set up a standing order to help brothers and sisters in Lebanon, who we don't even know, but we know they're brothers and sisters, and we know that Jesus has given me something in my patchwork sack for their sake. And that's what the book of Acts it teaches us to say, if Jesus is ahead of us, then, then what's he given me in my patchwork sack for the sake of brothers and sisters that we don't know? Because this is what Christians do. And that is an amazing demonstration of the truth that Jesus is building his church and we are all one body in it. So the very first church we're learning, and I hopefully we're picking it up too, that Jesus is, is way ahead of us and he's building his church in ways that we haven't even caught up with yet. So I want to encourage you, if Jesus is ahead of us, then ask, where do I see what the grace of God is already doing? We get to ask, how do I join in with that? And we get to ask, what has Jesus already given me that I have for the sake of brothers and sisters? Or what a great way of living in the freedom of knowing that Jesus is way ahead of us and we get the joy of catching on.